Lord. Thank you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You get things going through your head as you worship and stuff. I mean, things about God, you know, and what was coming to me a lot of times, at least hopefully, about God. (laughs) Not about the weather. But um, I was just thinking a lot of times our perspective of things kind of hinders us at times. And we come here and I was just thinking, this is holy ground. You know, no evil spirits are going to come here. This is a sanctuary in time that God has made for us. And his protection and covering is over us. I think, too, that we think, well, I just got up and decided to go to church today. And really, maybe our perspective needs to change a little and just think, no, God has put an invitation in my heart. (laughs) And he's called me and he was drawing me here for a purpose because we're all his family. And it's just that kind of perspective, a sanctuary in time, holy ground. And he calls us here for his purpose and he's going to meet us. He has been. But sometimes our expectation level gets caught in a routine and our expectation level goes when really it should be just expanding and expanding of what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. Has nothing to do with what I'm talking on this morning. That's just uh, throw that in. By the grace of God. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to speak. We're continuing on the theme of fasting. And I want to speak also tying it in with intercessory prayer. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, And thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And we do pray this for the Middle East. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe we could just say one more prayer. And Father, this is your word. And I pray you just help me to speak for you and not just about you. And I ask Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us in a way we haven't seen before and and stir our hearts, Lord. In your holy name, Jesus Christ, amen. You know, this is... I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if I've told you this before. I might tell one or two stories I may have told you before. I don't remember everything. The older you get, you know, like I have 72 years to remember. Some of you only have 24. So sometimes I forget things. (laughs) But this is a a true story. And um, I'll just start it like this. Moses wanders into the desert and encounters God at the burning bush. John the Baptist dwelled in the desert to fast and pray and get closer to the Almighty. Jesus goes into the desert to fast and pray for 40 days to seek his Father and to beat up the devil. 
The Apostle Paul hangs out in the desert regions to fast and pray, receiving revelations from God. Early monks trekked into the desert of Egypt to fast and pray and to seek the Lord. And in 1983, Richard Porter is dropped off in the desert for 10 days to fast and pray and encounter the living God of heaven and earth. What a saint. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that little build up there. (laughs) But let me tell you the painful story. I don't know if you've ever done anything like this. I lived in Fort Collins, Colorado, and um, had two weeks off from work. I wasn't married or anything at the time, and I was wondering, what am I going to do with two weeks, you know? And I thought, I'm going to make an appointment with God. I am going to go out into the desert and fast and pray for 10 days, just like I read about these people in the Bible. And I'm going to get visions like Ezekiel and encounters like Isaiah. And I'm really going to go out there. I got an appointment with God. And that's what I felt. And even when I was working leading up to this holiday, I thought, yes, I got an appointment with God. I'm going to have a Christian holiday. A real Christian holiday. (laughs) Go out into the wilderness for 10 days to fast and pray. So where was the nearest wilderness? It's about 70 miles away. It was called Pawnee Buttes, just flat prairie. And it had two, like mountains, you know, a butte that tops cut off. And it just had two buttes out there and just grassland. So I had a friend. I said, can you just take me out there and drop me off for 10 days so I could fast and pray? And in 10 days, pick me up again. So he said, okay, he did that. He dropped me off there. I had two tanks of um, 10 gallons of water, two things of 10 gallons of water to drink. Now, I knew the place was full of rattlesnakes. They had a lot of rattlesnakes in Colorado. So I bought one of those shepherd's crooks. You could get them in Colorado. And I thought, if I see one, I'll just kind of move them away, you know. I I met two of them there, but I always kept the distance from the things. Had a one-man small tent, just big enough for me to get in. I always kept it zipped up tight and kept my sleeping bag zipped up tight because you hear these stories in the Wild West, you know, somebody crawls in their sleeping bag and there's a rattlesnake in the bottom of it. So I I was doing that. I should have checked the weather before I went there. (laughs) It was one of the hottest heat waves they've had out there. It was 115 degrees. I don't know if you could imagine that. It's 46 centigrade. And I had no shade. Going into my tent was like stepping into an oven. My water got so hot, I should have taken tea bags with me, you know. And by the time I went back home, I was so sunburnt, the skin, you ever get that sunburnt? Probably not here, where the skin peels off of you. And also, just to add the truth to it, a farmer let his bull loose out there. And I had nowhere to go if that bull ever chased me. So I always had to always be checking around to make sure I kept a long distance between me and, and this creature. So, so that was my real Christian holiday. So I go out there and the first day God speaks to me, which you may say, well, that's really good. But I didn't like what he said. <laughs> it really bothered me and annoyed me. At that time, I had a beard down to here. It was my last vestige of hippie coolness back then. And the thing that came to me, you know, it's 
one of those times it was just, Richard, I want you to shave your beard. Now, now that may sound a bit bizarre and random, but it really struck me as one of, kind of an authority behind it. And I was thinking, but I don't want to shave my beard. I want you to shave your beard. Now, whether that was really God or not doesn't matter, but it really showed me something in my heart that I didn't go out there to obey God. I just went out there to find something from him. And um, for that 10 days, honest truth, the 10 days out there, I just kept battling with this idea. Am I going to shave my beard off or not? Am I going to be obedient? It was hard to read the Bible. It was hard to pray because every time I opened my mouth to pray, I thought, but I'm not being obedient. Do you ever go through those angst moments like that? Well, I did that for 10 days. The guy finally picked me up and I went home. For that 10 days, I was bored, hungry, and wrestling with myself and with God. A real Christian holiday. I'd recommend it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll arrange one for you. But I got home, and um, dear Lord, thank you. The experience wasn't wasted. I go home and I open my Bible and there's this verse, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? <laughs> That's what I felt like. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And that was a lesson I have never forgot. First Samuel fifteen twenty two, And the point, one of the points this morning is that our fasting, because this is a month where we're talking about fasting, our fasting will be a waste of time. Your fasting will be a total waste of time if we aren't following God's path, if we don't come ready and willing to obey. And we always want to hear his voice. But in asking for that could be a dangerous thing because we have to have it in our heart. I am going to obey what he tells me. Fasting as a spiritual discipline was never intended to stand by its own as a magic wand. I fast for 10 days and suffer and God's going to grant my request. It never works that way. It's a combination of many things. It's our prayers. It's our heart towards him. It's our obedience Amen. Fasting must be accompanied with prayer, obedience, and a godly desire and hunger to meet with God with clean hands and a pure heart. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. And I would say, don't waste your fast. Don't waste your prayers. Fasting should enhance our prayers. And you know, God, I find in Journey, um, in Antrim, just lately, I feel like God is really accelerating things there. And I see things happening that I hadn't seen happening there before, and I hope they are here. But one thing is our intercessory prayer meetings we have once a month. You know, usually we would have 10 or so people there. And this month, last week, we had it, and we had about 40 
and they all came in to to pray and um and then 15 of the young people young teenagers 14 on up they came in to join in the intercessory prayer meeting i've never seen that before and we were all walking and patient and praying and then we laid hands on all the young people and prayed for them and everything and, and then i heard later that some of the youth leaders said said it was uh, those teenagers weren't asked to go they said we want to go and when they got out, they said, that was fantastic. And you know, God is working something. When he's moving people to pray and fast, that means God's saying, I really want to do something here. Will you want it as much as I want it? Amen. And I feel like sometimes we fast, we pray, but sometimes it's probably good to move it into the extreme. And I would say, you know, jack it up to gear five. Let, let's really press in. And this morning I want to talk about fasting and intercessory prayer. The biblical view of intercession is a bit more intense and sacrificial than we often make it out to be. We often think intercession or interceding is praying for someone else other than ourselves. But it's so much more than that, biblically. <clears throat> it's much more intense than sitting in a circle sharing prayer requests and praying. I, I, I like to call it praying in the extreme. And I'm sure we all have a lot of words to describe this kind of prayer and fasting. We use words like, yeah, there, there's passion there, or desire, innovation, obsession, even radical zeal. You know, you know we, we think, yeah, yeah, there's tears. But it's even more than that. That comes with it, but it's much more than that, biblically. Are, are you okay? Are you with me here? You know, that great Scottish reformer John Knox, I don't know if you ever heard of him, he pretty much changed the face of, of Scotland at, at his time. And he, he, he started into intercession and it grabbed his heart. And through his own tears, he would often cry out, God, give me Scotland or I die. Is that that kind of passion? I want Scotland or just take my life, Lord. Do something in this land. Bring that revival. It would be like us praying, Lord, if you don't save down Patrick and our neighbors in this area, then kill me off. I can't live if you don't intervene for this island. That, that's starting to enter into intercession in the heart of God. Intercession, really, I would say, is not natural. You don't really drum it up yourself. Praying in the extreme is not natural. You know, prayer is when we ask in and through the Holy Spirit. Intercession is when the Holy Spirit pleads through us. There's a difference there. Prayer is alignment with the mind of God. Intercession is alignment with the heart of God. To where you want it as much as God wants it, and your desire for it is because God has planted it in you, in your heart, not, not your head. I'll give some examples here. That we care about the thing we're praying about as much as God does. 
Let's not waste our fasting for those who are fasting. Let's move it up a gear. Sometimes with prayer and fasting, even the Bible talks about it. There's noise. There, there's groanings. You know, I remember John Ash, whenever he talks about the intercessors group, he he always, <clears throat> I think it upsets him sometimes. I, I don't know, but, but, he, but he says it gets kind of crazy in there. Do you ever have crazy prayer meetings? <laughs> I don't know. But, but it does, you know, all of a sudden people will be yelling out or, you know, be people on their knees and it's just the groanings that cannot be uttered. And uh, sometimes if you judge in the flesh those kind of meetings, you would think this is a bunch of loonies. But you know what it is. It's people and God is grabbing their heart and they're crying out to God. They're not trying to put on a show. We're coming and we're trying to, Lord, save this island. I'm going to listen to Isaiah's description of the Messiah. This is chapter 53 of Isaiah. You, you, you would know it well. But it says, therefore, I will give him a prophecy about Jesus. I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now in Luke 23, 37, Jesus quotes this and applies it to himself. But what prayer He's speaking about the cross here through Isaiah 53. What prayer did Jesus pray on the cross? <clears throat> in Luke 23, 34, he said, hang in there. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. So what makes that prayer into an intercession? Why, why does Isaiah calls it he was making intercession and not just praying from the cross? You with me? Just keeping us online here. Well, the rest of Isaiah 12 tells us why it became an intercession and not just a prayer. It says in 53.4, as he prayed that he was taken on our infirmities, he was carrying our sorrows. Verse 5, as he was praying that, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And this theme runs throughout the chapter. But the point is, if Jesus was just praying, Father, forgive them from his own house, if he was just praying, Father, forgive them, at the midweek prayer meeting, we would say, that was a good prayer. That's a very good prayer. But not an intercession. What made it an intercession is that while he was calling out, Father, forgive them or forgive us, he was completely identifying himself with us. He 
took our sin and made it his sin, although he was sinless. But it said he became sin for us. You know, he, he was identifying completely with us. He took, he was taken our pain, our helpless despair. He was taking the sin of the world upon himself. He was sacrificing himself for the needs of others. He even allowed the fate of the guilty to rest upon his shoulders. And that's what made it that prayer an intercession and not just a prayer. This is why even at our beginning beginning verse where it said, made prayers and intercessions. They're different. One is intercession is, is jacking it up a bit, moving in. But in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, this is where we see the heart of what it means to pray in intercession. And he poured out his life unto death for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing, but I know and I'm bringing their pain and their sins to you. That was intercession. Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Lord, give me this island or I die. But it's not natural. We don't do that naturally. That This is something God does in our heart if we ask him. I can't drum it up. You see the same thing in Acts 7, 59. It says, Stephen. It said, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, you can imagine them being stoned by all these people, being railed at, being mocked, and they're tossing these stones and there's blood running down his head. And he knows, knows I'm going to be dead in a few minutes by these people. And then he, he falls on his knees and cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he, he died. If he would have prayed that in the midweek service, would have been a good prayer. But the fact that he was praying for his executioners who were killing him, and the reason they were stoning him is because he was telling them the words of God that they would be saved. That's what made it into an intercession. Now, at the moment, we aren't dying a brutal death like Jesus and Stephen. In the future, we might. We don't have, but we don't have to be a martyr to intercede. All we need is the heart of God and the love of God beating in our chest. An illustration, this is um, just one or two of the times, times God really did something to me and led me from just praying to interceding. One, I think a couple decades or more ago, I, got, I had a Time magazine. And on the cover, it said, Britain's Children unloved and unwanted that was the headline on time magazine and, and it intrigued me and i read that article now i just say right now oh, i was i was not married at the time i didn't have children and i really wasn't into kids much you know let i i never was a youth worker but but i i, I thought well yeah you know it, the single guy <laughs> dear lord what i'm saying i wasn't in the children a lot 
that I felt led to read that article, Britain's Children Unwanted and Unloved. And I tell you, as I read that article, that, that's when God grabbed my heart. And each time I, I was just weeping. And every time I turned the, turned, the, turned the pages, but the pages were getting wet with my tears. And he broke my heart for the youth of this nation. And it had never, it has never left me. And I can't tell you how many times, all the time, I'm praying for the youth and this next generation and the children in the church. I can't tell you how, how it changed me and the way I try to love and play with all the children in the church. And I'm getting to know them really well, but not just there. Even in my neighborhood, you know, we have kids playing around. You know what? I've got to know them so well that they come knocking on my door and they go, Richard, can I sing a song to you? Or they'll come to the door and, and want some candy or food and I would give it to them, you know, and that's the, you walk down, down the street and they're yelling at you and, and coming around. I was never like that before, but somehow God gave me a heart for them. And I tell you too, I want the kids. I, you know, I, I would like to be stoic and, and cool like Spock. <laughs> but my heart won't let me. Seriously, when I'm around the kids at the church and everything, I'll get down on my knees and I'll be playing with them and everything. And I, th I think this isn't very dignified, <laughs> but I can't help it. God broke my heart and my prayers had changed. They're becoming more of an intercession. But with intercession, it's also action. And that's what happened Happened then. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> it's like my dignity kind of went with that. I would hope that all the kids in the church, at least when they grow up, would remember that they were loved by all the grandparents. And that, that we wouldn't be afraid to talk to the teenagers and them, but we would go and share in their lives somehow and speak to them and let them know they are loved. Not, not that you don't, but sometimes I found myself used to be reticent of doing that. What's God doing in our hearts during these 40 days of fasting and prayer? What are we asking Him for? And I'd say again, let's not waste our fast. Let's not waste our prayers. But I would also say, let's not waste our life. I may have told this story before. This is the other time God really grabbed me for this when I was associate pastor in Glasgow for four years at a Parkhead I don't know if you know Parkhead they call it paradise it's anything it's far from it but I, I was there and, and I did the evening service and at the end of the service this young girl comes in about 24 and she, she just says can I talk to you and I said yes and she was just pacing back and forth like this in front of me and I would just you know, waiting there. And she was just going, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. 
Oh, God, help me. And then, then she'd look up and just say, say, I'm on heroin. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. There were so many heroin addicts there. I'd never seen anything like that before. And, uh, and, and then, then she, she, um, said, said, I've OD'd three times already. And I don't think I'm going to last. Oh, God, help me. And I said to her, I remember her name, you know, it was Susan. And I said, Susan, we will do everything we can to help you. Now, the church wasn't involved in any of that at the time. And um, I said, we'll do whatever we can to help you and had a talk with her. And then, then she said, I got to go. Can I meet you tomorrow? And she gave me a time and a place. And I said, OK, I'll be there. Well, I went there and she never showed up. And then a few days later, I get a phone call from a nearby pastor. And he said, he said, Richard, do, do you, do you know Susan? She said she met you the other day. And I said, yeah. And we were going to meet up, but she didn't show up. And he said, I just want to tell you that she died and that she OD'd. Something happened to me at that. And, and he said, do you want to help with the funeral? And I, I said, yeah, I'll help at the funeral. Worst funeral I've ever been to for my own heart, you know, just full of the addicts around the area and, and her little boy who was about six and her mother and, and the family. <clears throat> when we got through at that funeral, I, I said to that pastor, you know, we got to do something about all of this. Because the churches, I didn't see, see, were very active with the addicts and stuff around the area. But what I found was a change of praying. When I first arrived at Glasgow, I had my flat was three stories up, and it was at Parkhead Cross, which has more, more, more than four streets going into it the mall was just down the street and every morning I would look out my my bay window and you just see hundreds of people and cars going by and my first day there I remember standing at that window and just praying Lord help me to see them as you see them and help me to love them like you love them and that was my basic prayer every morning while I was there until I met Susan and that funeral. And then I found, I'm not lying, for the next three years, every morning I go and pray and look out that window, and all I would do is weep. And I'm telling you this, is that when God touches your heart on something like this, even for intercession, it never leaves you. It never leaves you. And I... And that went on for, th for three years because I couldn't even get any words out. And God was saying, this is my heart. You know, start taking what they are upon yourself. So I started helping the drug addicts. They got a real great programs working in that church now for the addicts. But we brought in Teen Challenge. I would go visit them on the streets. I would go to the park where they often met and sit with them and talk with them. I think that's the things Jesus would do, you know. And I even I remember one of them, I said, so why don't you come up to my flat and have a cup of tea or something, one of the addicts. And he said, no one's ever asked me that before in my whole life. And I, I used to bring him up to my flat and I'd listen to their 
Their conversations were not nice or pleasant, but I would listen to them. My flat was broken into twice, and they came in, kicked my door in and stuff, but I thought, I can't stop because it wasn't just the prayer, it was the intercession, taking it upon myself. It's like the love of God compels you, but it's not natural. It's when God grabs your heart. I'd say, don't waste our fast. Don't waste our prayers. Dear Lord Jesus, it's like, give me Scotland or I die. Moses was an intercessor. He didn't just pray. Exodus 32, 32, he says, Please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Have you ever prayed anything like that? Lord, forgive my neighbor's sin. Lord, forgive the sin of the paramilitaries out there. But if you don't, then blot me out of your, out of your book. I don't want to be saved if you don't save them. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of an intercession. And like I say, it's not natural. Let me suffer their fate with them if you choose not to forgive them, Lord. The heart of God. The Apostle Paul, and I always stumble over this when I read it, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. It's a biggie. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. I am not lying to you. I'm not putting on a show. I'm not trying to make a big deal. He's saying, I am not lying. I speak the truth in Christ. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That was the heart of God leaking out. He said, said, said God, if it was possible, I would just go to hell in their place. If that was possible. That's the heart of an intercessor. The intercession is taken on that person's guilt, their pain, their sorrow, who they are, and then taking it to God. History tells us that this is how all the great revivals of the past started. In Wales, in the Hebrides, in Belfast, it started when tens of thousands of people were saved because people started to pray but it wasn't until their prayers turned into real intercessions. And that's when the revival broke out. And that's the way it was in the Hebrides. They were meeting in a barn praying and they were praying all the time. And then one guy, God grabbed his heart and he said, this is all worthless. All our prayers are worthless unless we're coming to God with the clean hands and a pure heart. And it said he fell on his face like he wasn't in a trance, but you know, I mean, he was... God had grabbed him. And then for the Hebrides revival, some people, people say that's when it started. 
Something broke in the spirit there because it became an intercession and not just a prayer. Duncan Campbell came over. He was there. He was going to be there for about 10 days doing a series, series of um, talks at the church. And they, when he arrived on boat, he said, I, I was tired and I was hungry. But they asked me if I go to the church that evening and just give a word to the people before before your sessions start, you know, for the next 10 days. And he went. And then he said, said, after I prayed, you know, after he said, I spoke, it was a good, he said, it was a good spirit there. We were doing well. But that guy who was praying about the pure hand, the clean hands and a pure heart, he said, it says, he went to the middle aisle and he, and he went on his knees and he said, God, you said you would do it. You said you would come. You said you would come and save them. Something of intercession, no dignity anymore, just a, a bareness of heart. It's like when they rip their garments. God, come. And then one of the guys goes, they're going to open the door of the church, you know, because the service was over. And the, and the, and the man, elder, comes back in and says, says you've got to come out and see this. And they went outside and there were 600 people standing around the church wanting to come in that evening. And then they found out and they started to come in. And one of the, one of the teachers of the school ju- just fell down and just said, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? What was going on? Some of the elderly couples were saying, I was in bed sleeping and all of a sudden I just felt such an urgency that I should come here and I felt such a conviction for my sin that I had to come. There was a a dance going on down the street with all the young people and they all just felt like, I got to get to the church. What happened there? What happened in secret? The prayers became real intercessions. Give me Scotland or I die. You, you know, during the, the revival, am I going over time? I, I'll be done in, in just a few minutes here. At the revival in 1859 in Belfast, changed, changed everything there. Maybe that's why we have so many churches there. Never seen so many churches in my life. But... uh it said in 1859 revival, there was a time when, when at the Botanical Gardens in Belfast, there was 20,000 Christians there with Bibles in hands praying. Can you even imagine that today? The, you probably know this. The Harland and Wolf, the shipbuilders, they had to build warehouses because their workers were being converted and were bringing back all the tools that they had stolen over the years and they had nowhere to store them. That didn't happen just by people praying. There was real intercession going on. People wanting it as much as God wanted it. Let's not waste our fast. Let's not waste our prayers. And where where would you start with this kind of idea of intercession? You know, I think a good place to start is that first prayer I prayed in Glasgow. 
And that is, Lord, help me to see my neighbors as you see them. Help me to love my family as you see them. Help me to love the youth on the streets as you see them. Help me to love my enemies like you see them. Help me to love my friends like you see them. And then, Lord, help me to love them like you love them. And that's the opening, that's the open door. God, make me an intercessor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are God. You are Lord. You love us so much. You so loved the world. You gave your only Son who interceded for us on the cross, in the cross, through the cross. You told us we are to be like Him. Help us, Lord, to have the heart and compassion of Jesus Christ. Take us, Lord. Take us further. Dear Father, break our heart. And you know it will happen when you aren't expecting it. You pray it, but it'll happen when you aren't expecting it. And it might just be attracted to read an article in a magazine. It might just be a funeral. Who knows what it will be for you. But there'll be a time in this where God will grab you and says, okay, I want you to intercede for this. Lord, help us to want what you want, desire what you want. Help us not to waste our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.